Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. They are the new global powerhouses. They are worldwide players and no country appears able to control them. But we're not talking about terrorists, secret spy rings or international drug cartels. We are talking about the giant corporations that are now running roughshod over the rest of the world and seem to have a finger in every single pie of every single thing that every single person in the world does. We're talking about Google, who are today accused of manipulating human nature by one of their own bosses. We're talking about Starbucks, who stand accused of paying less than 3% tax last year uh, on their multi-million pound profits. And we're talking about Facebook and YouTube, who are so unregulated they can publish anything they like without fear or favour. Has the time come to stand up to these corporate behemoths? And if so, how do we do it? 0344 499 Daisy McAndrew's back, and we're talking useless trains, the death of rock and roll, and whether it's a good idea to invest in marijuana stock. 0344 499 You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and Daisy McAndrew on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000 is the number to call us on. William uh, has tweeted us at uh, Talk Radio from Scotland. He says, Nicholas Sturgeon has warned Amazon to start paying some employees a decent wage or risk losing out on any government payments they receive. Well, I mean, that's all very well, but that's a sort of drop in the ocean and it's not going to really threaten Amazon in any way, shape or no, form, and is I, it? I think that brings us to the central problem of all of this, which yeah. obviously, as we've been discussing, corporations, corporates getting bigger and richer than countries, but without any of the democracy, without any yeah. of the inspection or the transparency. Well, yeah, without any of the sort of representation either. Yeah, ex- exactly. But the, the, the secondary element of that is that the power has shifted away from politicians and towards businessmen and businesswomen. Mm, right. And I've seen this in the flesh over the last 20 years uh, as I've been working in politics because it used to be the case that a politician would demand the presence mm. of a businessman, as it used to be, you know, more often than a woman, yeah. and that businessman would go and see the politician. Yeah. It's the other way around now. Yes. And you can see it in a group. I mean, I was on the stage um, last week with the Prime Minister, Cabinet Ministers, mm. and the Chief Executive of Jaguar Land Rover, and right. I can tell you... Which one had more power? Yes. You could see it in the body language. Yeah. It's extraordinary how yeah. that shifted. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And also as well, when you were talking about the US and how money very much drives the uh, electoral campaigns mm. there and, and the funding of those electoral campaigns. And we you know we've seen over and over again more and more sort of private money going into political campaigns. Now, it might not be, for example, coming from straight from Amazon, but it might be from Jeff Bezos. And we must also yeah. say, and you mentioned that some of the good that they do, I mean, he is giving away quite a large proportion of the profits that they make at, uh, at Google and at Amazon um, because he's going to be um, giving, I think, a load of money to the homeless or there's Absolutely. a couple of, a couple of billion going down there. And if you think of Microsoft and Bill Gates and the Gates, and Foundation, the Gates Foundation, and they do very good work as well. But it's still slightly... Um, it worries you because yes. they, they are very powerful individuals in the world. Exactly, and they are pulling the strings. They yeah. are the puppet masters. And you know, if the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation decides that one day it's going to eradicate malaria, yeah. fantastic. If the next day it decides it's not going to do that anymore, yeah. malaria comes back. Yeah. So the power that they and also wield... what if they decided actually forget about getting rid of malaria. We're actually just going to buy Uganda. Uh, yep. And we're going to create a new country and we're going to call it something completely different, yep. Gatesland. I'm not, obviously, this is mad, but, you know, they could no, do exactly. it. No, exactly. They no, could do it. We, members of the human race on planet Earth, we're very lucky that Bill Gates seems to be a very good man with good intentions. But it might not have been that way. And nobody, it's totally unfettered power over the rest of us. No, exactly. Absolutely ridiculous. Let's go to the phones. 0344 499 Craig uh, is in Reading. Hi, Craig. Morning, Mike. Morning, Daisy. Morning. Morning. What do you want to tell us? 
I'm kind of perplexed by this whole HMRC and these, these corporate tax things. Somehow they managed to send me a letter every year claiming I've underpaid my <laughs> exactly, tax. Exactly, me too. <laughs> so, uh, and I don't quite understand how I, I constantly seem to be underpaying, but it just baffles me that they can't go after these people. Why should I pay effectively 25-30% average tax when they're paying 4%. But, but don't you think it's because you are not paying a very expensive private London company with all these experts to to fiddle your taxes? You're doing it yourself and that you haven't got the power that these corporations have got to employ armies of people to fiddle their taxes. Maybe I need to start. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, I'm not. An, I'm not against people avoiding tax because if you can illegally pay less tax and you're a corporation or an individual, I get all that. You know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be some holier than thou saint. Uh, you know, who wants to save the world by paying as much tax as possible. I'm very, very dubious of people who, who say that that's what they'd like to do. You know, Theresa May's now telling us that she wants to tax us more to save the NHS. Well, no thanks is what I'm going to say, Craig. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I do. I, I do think that in terms of the NHS and the education system, that actually the rate of tax or national insurance we pay should should be based on the amount of children you have. Yes. Well, the that, more children you have, the more you should pay. Yeah, well, but that's I supposed to be how the council tax that. works, and if people start putting scaffolding poles through windows. Yeah. The poll tax. Um, yeah. In terms, in terms of the multinational corporations and taxing them, I, OK, fine. If there are ways in which they can reduce their tax, that's fine, but... They've got to be ethical about it, and they've got to be realistic. If they've made 156 million in profit or whatever it was, and they should be paying 19 percent, that's that's you know 30 million. Mm. The fact is that they're not paying that; they're paying four, which is, yeah. is or, or, or less. Yeah, meet people halfway. At least be reasonable. If you're going to reduce your tax, okay, reduce it, but pay 20, pay 15, pay at least get somewhere near where you need to be. There should be a minimum. Well, I know very, very well what H if I wrote to HMRC and said that my very small company wishes to only pay 2.8% tax this year, just like Starbucks, I can imagine what they'd say. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I don't think it would be okay, Mr. Graham. So I know what, when these stories first started circling, particularly about coffee shops and Starbucks and the rest, and there were, there were movements, you know, um, grassroots movements to boycott these companies. And at the time, I thought it was all a bit daft and a bit blowing in the wind. Or, you know, mm. but, but actually now I'm wondering, maybe that is the answer, that we all have to start paying, yeah, paying more people attention. People won't. No. People won't. Because... But, but we need to hit them where it hurts. How do we do that if the politicians aren't going to be doing it Well, you mean us? give up the lattes? Give up the lattes. For heaven's sake. <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've got lots going on. Uh, we're going to be talking about the music industry because the Mercury Prize uh, is going to be awarded tonight. We're going to be listening uh, to some of the music which is going to be uh, uh, on offer. Uh, the Arctic Monkeys, of course, leading the uh, leading the charge. Florence and the Machines in there. Even Lily Allen, uh, who's actually blocked me on Twitter. I think I might have mentioned that in the past. Uh, she's up for one as well. Can't imagine why. Everything she does sounds the same to me. We're going to be hearing uh, about a new band which has been started up by Simon Fuller, uh, the Brain... Uh, brains behind uh, the Spice Girls, of course. Uh, he's basically created a band from all over the world, uh, but we're never sure if they're actually ever going to be together enough to record anything together. Uh, and the question we're asking is, rock and roll dead? 0344 499 1000. Daisy McAndrews here as well. And also we've got some news on the Croydon Cat Killer. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and Daisy McAndrews on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
So, um, this is an amazing picture in the Times today uh, about this new band, the Brainchild Supergroup of Simon Fuller, uh, who's, who's regarded as one of the sort of top impresarios, yep, I suppose, in the country. He was man. the guy that came up with the Spice Girls, who are still, amazingly, the most successful girl band girl of band. all time. Yep. So he's come up with this new idea for this new band. As you said, it's it's um, it's a glo- we were talking about global corporations yes. today. It's 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 a truly gro- global band. I think there are fourteen or fifteen members, and they're all from different countries. Right. They're all the same they're all age. Teenagers, they're all right? teenagers. Yeah, yeah. they're so between fifteen and, and twenty, I think. But and, and they, I think, my understanding is they, I think they've already released a a, a single. But they're not going to make their money yeah. through selling their music or selling out gigs right. or concerts. And they then it says to... here their songs are not available to buy, uh, they don't have a record label, and they're not even going to be available on Spotify. No, it's all about sponsorship. Right. So it's a different model, economic model, uh-huh. for, for, for making music or for making money out mm. of music. So, and, and Simon Fuller is a man that you should take notice of. Yeah. Well, indeed, it says here Tommy Hilfiger is paying for band members to wear its clothes while their YouTube videos are filmed on Samsung devices. Yeah. That is very so weird, it's, it's it's all about exactly the, yeah. sort of the corporates getting in on the on right. the, in in the pop world, right? And I suppose it's a bit like the influencers that we we read about on Instagram, on YouTube, and all of that. They're going to be they're huge on Instagram okay. already. It's it's a, just a different model, isn't it? So interesting. It's interesting, but kind of slightly depressing. Weird. I have to say. Yeah. Let's talk to Paul Reese, former editor of Q Magazine, who I'm sure sure will be as horrified by this as I am. Paul, a very good afternoon to you. Mike. Yeah, well, I mean, I can't say if this is the future of music, uh, I'm slightly concerned for the future of the world. Um, yeah, listening to this and, and finding out that it's kind of like having your soul sucked out through your eyeballs. Right. <laughs> it does. Um, it's really not good. No, I, well, I think if, you know, Simon Fuller's a, a, a bright businessman, um, but if you if you cast back to the, the, you know, it's kind of the point when it, Pop Idol, American Idol happened, that was the point they pulled the curtain back on the music business yeah. uh, and basically said, hey, As Daisy was saying um, in the last hour, her kids don't actually really buy music at all. And certainly I know when my kids were younger, when they were teenagers, my older kids when they were teenagers, they used to just somehow have a, a methodology, they had a way of live streaming stuff, um, which was illegal, but which everybody in their school knew how to do. Yeah, but I think that, you know, the music industry itself and, and everybody, the, the horse has long ago bolted on this. Yeah. Mm. Um, because basically all the internet, Spotify and all these things are a delivery system. Right. Which is exactly the same as what radio was when radio started. Yeah. But the difference being that they leapt on radio and went, hold on a minute, they want to make money out of the artists, they want to sell advertising on the back of it, we better regulate it. Mm. And no one has regulated it. It's, it's as simple as that, but everybody just seems to have run away from the internet and allowed them to do it. And it's yeah. far so You have a generation yeah, who've grown up who don't expect to actually pay for anything. And that's a remarkable thing. I mean, I long for the days of a man appearing in the studio uh, with a bag full of money to hand me so I'd play a record that he wants me to play. But, of course, I've never done that because I'm not that old. But, you know, that used to be a lot, a lot more simple, didn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm wizened old people like me sitting here pontificating <laughs> about it. It's not going to change it. You know, you know, I have kids who, you know, the, the music that they listen to will either come, you know, through Fortnite. And this, this has tapped in, you know, there's a, there's a bit with this 
this latest thing, Simon Fuller's latest thing, you can learn their dances online and things like that. They've tapped into the mm. exact same thing as happening with you, Fortnite, and it you, plugs into all... It's basically it's a multimedia exercise which has very, very little to do with pop music as you or I or people from certain generations would understand that. Yeah. Well, you've just touched on one of Mike and my buzzwords by mentioning Fortnite there, but it's, yeah. which is, I think, probably all three of us are Fortnite oh. widows or whatever. What are you yeah. That's um, what I feel like. Give, given our child, our ch- kids' childhoods over to Fortnite. But it's interesting that what you were saying, that it's it's getting them from every angle, isn't it? It's getting them when they're on the you know, computer games. It's getting them when they're on Instagram. It's getting them when mm. they're asking Alexa to do something. Whatever. You know, it's a multi-sensory sort of approach to get to get that, that sort of vote from that child or teenager. Yeah, and it's, it's, you know, it's obviously there's a lot of lessons been learned from different sorts of advertising and marketing things, but... It, the, the other thing is because there's so much noise out there and, and they're assailed by so many things, it, it's trying to find the next door that penetrates through all that noise. And, and Fuller obviously thinks he's found it with the notion that they're from different countries uh, and, and the fact that it, he found a different angle to take with it that, that's obviously worked in the short term because we're talking about it. Well, indeed. And I guess, in, 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 and interestingly enough, he doesn't probably care whether it gets a piece written about it in the Times or whether we talk about it, about it on, on radio and what they what they regard as mainstream media is all very yesterday, isn't it? I mean, you know, they're not, they're not watching as much television now because they're all on YouTube. No, exactly. And, and his measurement of it will be... I predict exactly that. How many people have, are accessing it on Instagram? How much traffic is talking about it on Snapchat, etc., etc., etc. It's it's you know it, it's in a it's in a totally different sphere. You can't really talk about it as a as a sort of pop music story. As I said, it's it's a multi entertainment medium story. Right. I mean, one of the things that I always worry about the new kind of kinds of media like YouTube and YouTubers and the numbers of people that watch them, they make their money out of the numbers, okay? Now, what's stopping them from, for example, you know, just dreaming up some 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 fake accounts, and I know you'd have to do it in massive numbers, um, and make the and make the hits appear to be real when actually they're not? Well, look, I mean, that, that day, that, that was done, you know, in the old days, it was, it was you know, there were pay records, there were pay radio stations to pay it, they would fill record yeah. shops with things. So... All those, you know, those tactics have been going on since time immemorial. Sure. I think you're, you're in a place where there's such a quick turnover of things as well now that, that, that everything is so transitory yeah. that, that you make a big impression quickly and, and people just move up and kids move on to the next thing very, very quickly. Yeah, and also I think the name of the band, Now United, is even quite clever because it's a kind of name that people will search for quite a lot, you know, like as Manchester United or, or the word Now, and they're going to find this band. I mean, so, there's not a single part of this has not been run through been left all to chance. of logarithms yeah. <laughs> to make it work to the maximum effect. Absolutely right. Now, going back to what I regard as real music, mm. um, the, uh, the, the Mercury Prize shortlist is out uh, and the prize is given away tonight. Now, I'm, pr- I'm proud to say uh, that I know four out of the 12 uh, <laughs> contestants, if you want to call them that. Um, so I can't be completely out of touch. No, that's good going. I think I'm probably on the same level as you. Right. Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard of Sons of Kenit, Kemet. Um, also, I'm slightly slightly confused by two of them. One is called Everything Everything, and the other one's called Everything Is Recorded. But they've got everything in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. But uh, who do you reckon is going to win it? I mean, I've, we've been listening to some Arctic Monkeys, their new album. I rather like that. Well, I, I, as I said, I'm, I'm of a certain age. I, I like the Florence album a lot. Yeah. I think that that's a very good record. Um, in that sort of old-fashioned way of it's, 
it's a prize awarded for an album. And, and I, as I say, I haven't heard the whole list. But the Arctic Monkeys album, I think, A, is a very brave record because they've taken an artistic flyer, which yeah. is what people used to do. Right. And, and B, it, it's a proper record. It, it's, there's, a, there's a singular theme that we're, you, know, you have to listen to it front to back. It works as a complete piece. So I hope the Monkeys win it for that reason. And that's very much what people don't do anymore. I mean, I was actually, you, just to age myself even further and put myself even more out of touch. I mean, I was uh, hearing yesterday that Paul McCartney's new album, Egypt Station, is actually number one in America. I actually listened to the whole album when yeah. I was driving the other day, and I haven't listened to a whole album for ages. No, and I think that the, the Monkeys album, the, the, the Florence album as well to an extent, but the Monkeys, it's not a collection of singles. It's not, you, you, you get it as a, as, a, as a mood piece, and I think they've been bold enough to, to uh, they've evidently alienated half their fan base by doing really? it. Really? Yeah. But it, it's, Everything about it, from the fact that he actually designed, that he built the little model on the cover himself, right. the best over and all that. There's a, it, it, it's a proper piece of recorded music as, right. a, as a long playing piece, and I think for that reason, it, it would be great if it won. Yeah, absolutely right. And just one final thing. Um, I was looking again in, in the paper, and, and you mentioned it already. America's got talent, Britain's got talent, that kind of thing. Anybody can become a pop star. There's some uh, schoolgirl, 14 year old Courtney Hadwin from the northeast of, of England, somehow found her way into the final of, of America's Got Talent. I don't even know how she did that, but she came sixth, apparently. She's now tipped for worldwide stardom, thanks to Simon Cowell. You know, and it's just kind of, you know, all these people that win these things, they kind of come and go, don't they? They disappear after about two years, usually. Yeah, and I think there's a, there's a you know, I, I personally think Simon Cowell probably resides in a place several hundred metres underground where fire burns eternally. <laughs> um, but That's just know, his the, weekend place, though. famously happened was it james arthur who had a massive fallout with him I don't know. over uh, after i mean i'm sure a lot of them are very grateful for it as well yeah that's, but it, i think it, it's uh, you know uh, it's it's such an exploitative thing you know mm. that you know my kids will watch american idol yeah. and like it's become this thing of a laughing at the people who aren't very good yeah and, and b the people that do get through um the examination of what they actually sign up to um, you know the, the, the contracts are just. I, I know people who've, who've had the, some interaction with it, and they are. You know, the, the, they go on about the sixties. You know, people sign their lives away and yeah. got nothing for it. And, and in that way, we've gone full circle. Right yes. back to that again. Yes, I can imagine. Well, just to uh, annoy you even further, Paul, we're <laughs> going to play just as, as we as we go into the uh, into the advert. We're going to play a bit of uh, Now United. The song's called What Are We Waiting For? So you can have a listen to it. Uh, and I'll, hopefully it doesn't stay in your head for the rest of the day. <laughs> Paul Reese, full editor of Q Magazine. Uh, we'll come uh, back to you soon. We'll take some more of your calls. 0344 499 1000 is now United. I can't forget you. We ain't finished yet. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? All this back and forth. I don't want to wait no more. You know all we have is now. I know I Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I mean, Daisy, I knew the railway industry was in a pretty bad state, but having read this report, or at least the way this report is being reported in the newspapers this morning, it is actually worse than I thought. Yeah, and it couldn't be any worse no. than we thought, but it does, it, it seems... And one of the, you know, we've been talking about big corporations and lack of transparency and all that, but that's what... So the report is saying that... Um, Poor leadership and a lack of accountability yeah. is at the centre yes. of, of the mess, which, of course, I think anybody who goes on the trains regularly can tell that mm. it's got poor leadership and a lack of accountability because they don't seem to care no. about what they're doing. And, well, they don't see, and, they, and, and they don't own up to it. Well, what's worse is that when they do care and when they do do something which they think is going to make things better, it actually makes it worse. Yeah. I mean, they introduced this timetable in May which it turned out they couldn't actually operate in most areas because they didn't have enough trains, they didn't have enough drivers, they didn't have enough conductors, they didn't have enough ticket inspectors. I mean, you know, the whole thing is a complete shambles. And and again, because politics is involved, yeah. I think that's one of the, the major problems because you've got the sort of politicians who know that they're going to get lambasted. Yeah. So they, they'll put pressure on the, the franchises or the, you know, the to companies do something. to do something. Yeah. And, and I think my understanding is with the timetable mm. fiasco, it was partly that the, the, some of the... Um, you know, the uh, rail authorities said, we can't get it done, it's not going to work. And that the politicians sort of forced their hand. So everybody's to blame. Chris Grayling, who's, of course, the minister responsible, says uh, that he's today going to launch yet another review uh, into the railways. I mean, how many reviews does he need to do before he needs to actually do something about it? Let's talk to Bruce Williamson uh, from Rail Future. Bruce, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Um, I mean, I don't think I'm wrong to suggest that things are much worse than we thought, am I? Um, it certainly was a terrible event, wasn't it? Uh, the, you know, the report is fairly damning. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think uh, you've summed it up quite well. Everyone was to blame. It was a chaotic situation. Yeah. And it was a, you know, a classic example of, of people running around like headless chickens and no one taking yeah. responsibility as things just sort of unravelled. Sure. And we're hearing today, of course, that there's going to be some kind of root and branch review of all the networks, that there's going to be changes made and, you know, <laughs> promises have been being, being kept and we're going to make more promises and lessons are going to be learned. And it's all the usual kind of language. But are they going to really do anything and what can they do? Well, that's a good good question, actually. I suspect. I mean, we've had a review before, or various, you know, reports looking into how the railways are run. Uh, one of which tried to tackle the costs of running the railway as an industry, and and that sort of disappeared into the long grass. Um, you know, I mean, it would be it would, <laughs> it would be nice if 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 it was a a genuine open mm. review and the politicians took notice of it. But I suspect that. Um, uh, you know, the, the the Conservative government, being the Conservative government, will not consider the option of pri- of, of renationalisation, for instance, and, and similarly on the Labour side, you know, uh, they're wedded to, to, to renationalising the railway, which, yeah. you know, I, I think might help in some regards, but certainly wouldn't be a magic bullet. Mm. Uh, I think people fail to appreciate, you know, your average... Um, Travelling member of the public. I mean, you mentioned it in your opening piece there. You know that the rail the rail companies don't seem to care, but actually, 
they're micromanaged by the Department for Transport. We still have the government running the railway, effectively. Yeah. It, it isn't really a, a sort of independent, privatised industry um, for, for various reasons. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's no quick fix. There's no magic bullet on this, I think. But, uh, you know, I think there are certainly lessons to be learned in how the railway is managed and, uh, you know, um, getting a decent bit of sort of forward planning in the industry uh, so that it doesn't happen again. Yeah, I completely take your point about there being no magic bullet, but am I right in thinking that one of the four, that the fundamental problem with the way that it's that it's run is the system of franchises, that the system of franchises is a pretty crazy system? Um, yeah, I, I don't want to sort of you know, come down hard against the train operating companies because they, they actually do quite a good job. Yeah, no, I don't mean the, the companies, but I mean the no, system yeah. by which they are awarded the franchises yeah. and, and all that, 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 that it's, it's a bit bizarre. Well, it is a bit bizarre because, of course, it encourages um, cost-cutting because you want the cheapest franchise mm. to win, and that's one of the reasons why we had the problems because, the, you know, the, the, the franchise bidder has the bare minimum of admin staff and the bare minimum of, of standby drivers. Yeah, in order to win uh, in, the bid. To win it. And, of course, the other problem is that the franchise, you know, a, a franchise privatised system has so many different operators and so many different pieces to the jigsaw that that causes, you know, a, a degree of inefficiency. Yeah, too many, too many which, cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, exactly. and none of them know yeah, how to cook, yeah. unfortunately. But what about the idea that you could somehow simplify that then, Bruce, and maybe suggest to the government that, you know, the cheapest option is not necessarily always the best one? Well, indeed. I, I, and, you know, one of the things we, a long, long time ago when, when privatisation was first mooted, we suggested that actually if you were going to privatise it, it would make sense to privatise it as one whole. So there you don't get that fragmentation. You get the integration and, and the economies of scale mm. of having a, a railway which is run by just one organisation. Yes. Because, I mean, but just even looking at the two ma major sort of capital projects involving railways, which are, of course, Crossrail, which we now know is going to be a year late and is going to cost billions more than they thought. And, of course, HS2, which is still going, uh, still going wrong uh, and still becoming more and more expensive as every day passes. Yeah, and you could add to that electrification as well, because the electrification mm. schemes on the on the Great Western have, have not gone according to plan yeah. and, have, and have overrun. You I mean, you think we were in sort of the uh, you know nineteen eighteen as opposed to twenty eighteen? I mean, shouldn't yeah. they have electrified the railways a long time ago? Oh, oh, certainly, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're playing catch up on on that level of investment. We've we've certainly been advocating uh, electrification. I think pretty much everyone in the industry wanted more electrification sooner for. for decades you know because it's such a win-win-win situation mm. when you have these you know super smooth reliable electric trains um uh but you know that's not to say that you know we're giving examples of, of where the rail industry has got it wrong mm. you know that the rail industry is capable of doing capital projects on time and on budget believe it or not i think hs1 hs1 was it was and it's it, it has been successful <laughs> in in so far as you know investment and making that area richer and so on and so they did much but it's a much much smaller it's very, project i mean unfortunately also very rare isn't it for anything in this country i'm not just talking about railways anything which is a major capital project to be produced on time uh, and on on, on budget. I mean, that's a very, see, that, very that project was run, was run by a woman. Ah, oh, well, was there you go. That would be why then. <laughs> that's the answer, Bruce. Put uh, put some, somebody rather than Chris Grayling in charge, and preferably a woman. 
Um, I, I, I can't I, I can't see any reason why that would be a bad idea. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but Bruce, I know it's probably a lazy thing to say, but it seems you know most of us all we come back from holiday and say, why are the you know continental railways so much better than ours? Are is there examples of excellence and things that we could steal from other countries in the way that they run their railways? Yes, certainly there are. Um, uh, you know, and I think we've got to be careful that we're not looking through rose-tinted yes. spectacles. You know, in some in some you know, for instance, our level of punctuality on British trains is about the same as most European countries. You know, um, we, we have this sort of fantasy that, uh, that Swiss trains run on time mm. to the second every time. You know, I think the Swiss ones are pretty good, actually, but generally the French and the Germans sort of run the railways roughly the same yeah. way we do. I mean, what I've been told, Bruce, is that, you know, we, we when we use trains in Europe, we tend to use the kind of big intercity type, the you know, the TGV ones. or the mm. uh, the ice, ice trains mm. in Germany, but actually their smaller kind of franchise trains are no better than ours. I think that's true, and in fact, I think the, the, the sort of regional and local services are, are, are generally a little bit more sparse in, in yeah. France and many other European countries as well. So, you know, I think we, we've got to be thankful for what we've got, really. You know, a, a train service that does basically work and is pretty comprehensive and goes to a lot of places and, and travels reasonably fast. But I think one of the, the, the lessons that I think you, we should take from the Europeans is, is one of consistent long-term investment. What, what has really hampered British railways uh, as a whole over the years is, is the sort of feast and famine. Mm. Um, and a lot of the investment which is happening now, which is always very welcome, um, you know, is, is, is playing catch-up. So, you know, people sort of don't appreciate the benefit because by the time you get a new train or you, you get an improved station or something, the number of passengers has gone up and you've still got the same level of overcrowding. And is, do you think that, just sort of unpicking that even further, is that a result of our very sort of adversarial politics in this country where you know the railways are sort of used as a political football to be kicked between Labour and Tories whereas in other countries it seems to me that they with infrastructure projects they seem to take the politics out of it and they will commit to something that's still 30 years away that we just won't do. I think that's absolutely right yeah and I mentioned it earlier the ideological uh, sort of weddedness that the Tories have to privatisation and, and Labour has to renationalisation. So mm. if, for instance, this review says that uh, public ownership would have some advantages, you know that the Tories would just sweep that under the carpet rather than actually yeah. doing... You can you predict know, without it even might be the best for the railways. being written. Which does bring us back to the point of mm. yet another review. Is it going to be worth the paper it's well, written Well, it's on? not really, is it? I mean, Bruce, I'm slightly worried as well. I mean, you're a campaigning organisation at Rail Future, but you yeah. seem to be relatively happy to put up with what you've got. And I I don't think that's right. I think you should be absolutely tearing the walls down and telling them to get their uh, get their house in order. I mean, Rob says this root and branch review to be published at the end of this parliament for the incoming government to throw out. How does this improve life for the user and the daily commuter? And he's right, because it doesn't, does it? I mean, when you look at what happened in the north of England, 300 trains a day uh, on the northern network were cancelled every single day. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, I agree. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible situation and it's unacceptable. I mean, you know, as a campaigning organisation, you know, we at Rail Future, we, we do what we can. And, and obviously when this review comes out, you know, we'll, we'll read it and, and, and talk to the politicians. And well, shouldn't you be do. part of the review, though? Shouldn't you be in there kicking their doors down saying this is what you have to do to make it better? Um, yes. Or am I being yeah. a bit too radical for you? We're, we're, we're not short of uh, ideas and recommendations, let's put it that way. <laughs> right. Uh, but of course, the, I yeah, just want you to be a bit angrier, Bruce, I think. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I think maybe Br Br Bruce, Bruce has probably learnt over the years that it doesn't get him anywhere. <laughs> no. <laughs>
But I mean, would it actually, uh, would it be a good thing, do you think, uh, for Chris Grayling to step aside and admit that he doesn't know what he's doing? Uh, he, everything he touches, it seems to turn uh, into something which is can only be described as the opposite of gold. Um, and, and he's just not doing a very good job, is he? Um, I, 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 I wouldn't give him very high marks. But the problem is, there's two problems, really, that, you know, um, the minister is not a rail expert and it's mm. very unlikely that he ever will be. Mm. And, and secondly, transport minister is, is not a glamorous job and it's seen as a sort of stepping stone to, you know, bigger and better jobs. And that means that, there, you know, there's, there's usually a, a very high turnover of, of, of ministers. And the, uh, the only the person next, that ever seemed to have a real passion for it was exactly. um, so Andrew other, Adonis. The other, the <laughs> then he... Chris Grayling you know, will probably be in the job for six months and probably won't know much about yeah. the railways. And by the time they get the hang of it, they'll be gone. So, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a problem of poor poor governance, I think. Yes, indeed. Well, listen, hopefully we can find some kind of solution, but uh, we'll keep in, uh, keep well, in touch, Bruce. We've, and, uh... we've had a tweet. I don't know whether Bruce has got final comment on this, saying, please mention the fact that civil servants and not ministers are responsible for the rail mess and more. This is what Tim says. They devise contracts and franchises. They are useless and never operated in industry or business. The contractors can run rings around them. Do you think there's truth in that, that the civil servants aren't up to the job? Uh, I think there's some truth in that, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, the civil servants, I mean, at least they stay in their job you know long long term and 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 do you know yeah. have, a, have a degree of expertise i suppose but you know we can cite examples and the east coast repeated franchise failure and the uh the, the west coast franchise fiasco of a couple of years ago are examples of that where the civil servants simply aren't doing their job and aren't scrutinizing these franchise bids well enough mm, absolutely right and we will end i think with this uh, particular service update from southeastern uh, which came in this morning to me uh, on twitter uh, the uh, bromley south to victoria train was late departing bromley south due to the driver becoming locked in the onboard toilet <laughs> This train uh, is now running five minutes late. Sorry for the delay well, course. How could they admit I mean, that? Why would you even bother tweeting that out? Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. I mean, it's, it's comic and it's, you know, it's annoying. But, <laughs> you know, you'd be the first to criticise them if, if they didn't tell you what was going on. You know, I think, I think the train operating companies... Well, it's um, all right. They can tell the people on the train what's going on. They need to tell the whole world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is. Thing, you know, the passengers on the train might not hear the announcement because they've got the headphones on, but they will see the Twitter on their smartphones. Mm. Yeah, there's yeah. some truth in that. All very interesting. Thanks very much indeed. Bruce Williamson uh, from Rail Future Campaign Organisation. I want him to be really angry. I just want him to, you know, to go getting Chris around the throat. But he's probably been angry for so long he's exhausted Maybe. himself with anger. Well, that's he's the trouble because there is this thing about being British and kind of, you know, mm. just putting up with it. Well, we shouldn't put up with it. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.